Hey everybody, good to see you, good to be back, good to see you without masks. Uh, it was a while ago, so, but uh, good to be back here and to be in Madison, Wisconsin. I'll tell you a funny but unrelated story. Last time I was in Madison, Wisconsin, I was actually here to speak at the InterVarsity uh, National Leadership Meeting. I guess InterVarsity has some, are, you, are any of you connected with InterVarsity? Is that a no? Okay, so, so, um, so I was coming up and I was texting them, I was about an hour out. And I said, uh, yep, looking forward to seeing you guys. And uh, where, where's the building? And they told me where the building was. But then what they didn't tell me was is that upon getting my text, they went into a big season of panic because uh, they'd asked me a year and a half ahead of time. And then about six months after they asked me, but a year after the meeting, they changed the date. And, and they forgot to tell me that they changed the date. So, so they were super nice, Midwest nice. So they're super nice. So they actually made up a meeting like this. Hey, is anybody here? Is anybody here? We had Stetzer's coming to speak. So they, so they actually hus- rustled up all these people together and didn't tell me until the end that, that uh, I was really glad you came today. And it's like, it's such a surprise. Somebody said, what do you mean it was a surprise? It was planned a year ago. So that meeting's tomorrow. We changed it till tomorrow. And, uh, and so, and so where am I supposed to speak tomorrow? I said, well, no, we brought everyone in early and they're all here now. So, so it was, it was kind of funny. So anyway, that's funnier to me than it was to you, but that's my memory of Wisconsin. And one other memory is that we, when we, during the worst of COVID, summer, like, you know, Illinois was um, much more strict in lockdowns. And in Wisconsin, you just were like, everything was just wide open. So we actually came up to Madison and then over to uh, Milwaukee. Milwaukee's in what state? It's in Wisconsin? Okay. So we came over there. And so we were, and so we, this was our escape state. It was escape state. So anyway, you don't want to hear all my details. Uh, so if you have a Bible, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter nine, Matthew chapter nine is our text. And, um, so we're going to talk some about what prayer and how it relates to the harvest prayer and how it relates to the harvest And Matthew chapter eight and nine is sort of an in-between section. It's kind of an in-between section. So give me a second to turn there to Matthew chapter nine. So when you look at Matthew chapter 5 through 7, that's the Sermon on the Mount. So we're all in on the Sermon on the Mount. You know, the starts of the Beatitudes tells the That's kind of the, the description of kingdom living. And then Matthew chapter 10 is actually a commissioning of the disciples as they go on mission. But there's some remarkable insights on prayer that lead to action between these two things. So it's kingdom living in Matthew 5 through 7 to kingdom mission in Matthew 10. And we're get a, kind of in the middle, we get a kingdom-focused prayer in the middle section. That's what we're going to look at today. So we're going to look at this. Now, I recognize that I could have preached the last few chapters of the book of Daniel, and that really sounded great. Um, <laughs> But rather talk about the words of Jesus here as, as well. So I was happy to come, but there were conditions, and that conditions included not finishing the book of Daniel. So, but next week you'll, you'll, you'll get that. Have you enjoyed, it's not like you enjoyed Daniel, though. No, or was he just, just being nice? You haven't enjoyed Daniel? Okay. There's a lot of fascinating stuff in Daniel. There's a lot of weird stuff in Daniel, but that was, sometimes that makes it fun. Uh, all right, so Matthew chapter 9, hopefully you found it. It's verses 35 through 38. Matthew chapter, do we use the ESV here, right? Is that the Bible translation? Okay, so Matthew chapter 9, beginning at verse 35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all their cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers into his harvest. So it ends with Jesus telling them to pray. So we're going to lead up to this prayer. We're going to lead up to this prayer as we kind of walk through 
this passage. So the, the passage ends with Jesus encouraging intercessory prayer for workers to be sent out into the harvest. That's the practical application. So why start the sermon with application, right? Well, we're going to work backwards from that idea and see how consistent prayer changes our hearts with compassion towards others. How consistent prayer changes our hearts with compassion towards others, right? And I really think this matters because I think uh, one of the things we need today in a world that's broken and lost, in a world that is increasingly turning against Christianity and sometimes turning against Christians, we need to remain with a heart of compassion towards those who do not know the Lord. Matter of fact, I don't see a future of a vibrant church that doesn't have a heart of compassion for those who don't know Jesus. Now, I don't know. I don't predict the future. I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet. I actually work at a nonprofit organization. Uh, but but what I would say is is that uh, I think we need to have a that's that's an old old preacher joke that like goes back decades that preacher joke so um, but but so so again I think for us to be the kind of church that's praying towards the harvest matters. The church is praying towards harvest. So we're going to look to do that. We're going to look through several things today. We're going to just look through several points, kind of walk through this passage as we go. And there'll be three main things. When we walk through those three main things, we'll be finished. So number one is the good news of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom. That's where we start is the good news of the kingdom. It says this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now that, that phrase may sound familiar to you because it's almost repeated verbatim of Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. So Matthew, when he's writing his gospel, Matthew seems to use this phrase to sort of reset the section, right? So it's kind of like we might say, and in the next chapter I'm going to talk about what Matthew says. He says Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel, healing every disease and every affliction. So, so this text here is showing, though, the connection between the works of Jesus and the calling of his disciples, right? Because we're going to get right to chapter 10, which is all about the calling and commission of the disciples. So Jesus is teaching, preaching, and healing, but the big shift here is that now this is Jesus' ministry, but soon it's going to be their ministry in, John cha in Matthew chapter 10. And prayer is the bridge to it being their ministry. So Matthew 9.35 is a restatement of Jesus' ministry and a prayer for the people to join in that ministry. Let me say it again. Matthew 9.35 is a restatement of Jesus' ministry and a prayer for the people to join in that ministry. So it's not just about doing and going. It's about praying because prayer changes the heart and the situation. Because remember, we're leading up to this prayer. This is so important prayer. We, don't, we actually don't see Jesus praying or telling people to pray a lot. And here he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest. We're going to see that in just a minute. So he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So the kingdom of God, Jesus is obsessed with the kingdom of God. He says over 80 times, he speaks about the kingdom of God in the gospels, right? So over and over again, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And so this is the same Jesus who taught us to pray. Matthew 6, 10, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so he tells him, your kingdom come, your will be done. So this kingdom, it says, Jesus went out all the villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, right? We're City on a Hill Church here. You know, I'm preaching at City on a Hill Church this week, and I'm preaching at City on a Hill Church next week. Did you know that? Not this one. 
but another church. Matter of fact, I don't think there's a farther city on a hill church in the world that I'm preaching at next week. So next week, I'll be preaching in Melbourne, Australia at City on a Hill Church in Melbourne, Australia. Isn't that crazy? So it's a very long flight to get there, but kind of random. Uh, but, you know, but, but they want the kingdom of God to come and spread in Melbourne. And, uh, they, and, and, and we want the kingdom of God to come and spread in Madison. Right? So we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. That's why we're engaged in caring. We want the world to be more like Jesus wanted it to be, where no child is unwanted, and instead they're welcomed, and, and there's rejoicing when children come into the world. We want it to be more like Jesus. We want it to be in Madison, where people are hearing the good news of the gospel and responding by grace and through faith. Right? We, wanna, we want the kingdom to come and the world to be more like Jesus would want it to be. So, the good news of the kingdom. It's number one. Jesus went throughout their villages and cities teaching, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease. So prayer, going to focus you on kingdom values. Remember where we're leading in this. We're leading to prayer. You've been talking about prayer a lot lately, right? So we're leading to this prayer that Jesus calls us to pray. But before we get there, the gospel writer here, Matthew, is actually reminding us that Jesus is preaching and bringing the kingdom of God. So that's number one on our outline. Number two on our outline is the needs of the world around us. The needs of the world around us. And it's interesting. All around the world, needs are similar and yet different. You know, we're in the process right now, the Stetzers are, of um, moving to California. So we're going to be, in July, I become the new dean at uh, Talbot Seminary at Biola University. So we're moving to California. We're packing up our bags and moving to Beverly Hills, that is. That's a... It's an, old, it's an old song. You have no idea what I'm talking about, do you, young lady? No, no. no. I heard you liked my last sermon. Your dad told me that. I appreciate that. I, I, I've got a high standard now. I appreciate the fact that you actually said it was better than his sermons. Is that a true thing? Yes. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, just so you know, when the guest speaker comes in, the guest speakers preach that sermon about 50 times. And every week, your dad's got to preach a new one. So I bet your dad's better than me when he's at my church. So... Um, Anyway, so, and by the way, those of you who don't know, that was a little song called the Beverly Hillbillies, and we're not moving to Beverly Hills. We're, we're moving, we can't afford to live, we don't know where we're going to live. You can't afford to live in California. You have to live in Nevada in order to teach in California, is what it, what it ultimately is. I guess you guys have crazy high prices right here in Madison as well. Yeah, but it's crazy in California. So we're moving, and what's interesting is, is I, I, one of the first things I did is I spoke to a group of pastors, and and uh, there was a, some foundation, and they were giving out grants. We called them Gospel Mercy Grants, and it was really great to hear. But, um, but you could just feel the sense that these pastors loved the people that God had sent them to, and it brought me joy. Well, this is what Jesus speaks to. This is, um, this is actually not Jesus' words, but in a very fascinating moment, Matthew is describing Jesus' emotional state. So my daughter is a student at, uh, at Biola University, which is a little tricky because she, you know, I, was, I, I am right now the dean at Wheaton College, one of the deans at Wheaton College, and my daughter um, decided not to go to Wheaton College because, you know, I have a, a strange last name, and, uh, and I'm sort of well-known in the community. So she was like, yeah, Dad, I love you, and we're, we're super close. She's real close. Uh, she said, I'm going to go to California to another Christian school. I'm going to go to school there so I don't have to be kind of under your, your shadow, you know, like with the last name Stetzer, everybody in my class saying, are you Ed Stetzer's daughter? And so, uh, so a year later, we decided to take the job at the school where she went. Uh, so, so I said, I really hope you're really enjoying school. We're coming too. Uh, I'm the worst helicopter parent in the history of the world. Um, 
But you know, when, 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 you, when we get out there, um, I was these pastors, you know, there's a lot of brokenness in Southern California, right? Uh, Los Angeles might be a brokenness that's evident and clear. And then you go to Orange County, it might be a brokenness that's hidden, but still there. And, and listen to the words of Jesus when he sort of describes how he sees people, right? This is Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. We'll put it on the screen. It says, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So, you know, when you see groups of people, when you go into a grocery store, when you go to a wherever, and you see people, um, Matthew describes pretty remarkably the emotions of Jesus, which is just fascinating to me. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. It's like kidzomai in the Greek. Uh, it's like nidzomai in the Greek, which, which is a very complex word, right? It's a funny word. It has a powerful meaning. What it means is to be moved in your most inward parts. Literally, it means to be moved in your bowels, which means something different to us today. But it's something deep. And you felt it like, you ever heard say, I just felt it at the pit of my stomach? That's where the, that's this idea, right? And, you know, I got, I got three daughters, which is so awesome, but also a prayer request. Uh, three awesome daughters, and they're great. They just have so many words. But anyway, another story from the day. Um, but when one of them got sick, my youngest got sick, the one that is at the school I'm going to go with Adina, when she got sick and she was in the hospital, and, and she was in the hospital for several days, we weren't sure we were going to lose her. I mean, there was just nothing more deep in the bowels in the pit of my stomach of the pain, the compassion that I felt for my daughter. It's like, God, let me take her place. You know what that's like. Well, in the Greek, that's how strong this word is. This, this passage is written in Greek. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion. Black needs am I. He had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So this is really key. And, and by the way, this, is, this verse is not on your screen, but in Philippians 1.8, it's the same word. It says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Yearn with affection. So that's how Jesus felt towards that. And it's interesting because, you know, we, were, we, were, um, we, we actually live a little bit in California now. We're still at High Point Wheaton, living there, but um, back and forth. And Don and I went out to one of these little farmer's markets and it's a very different world, and uh, it's a lot of hemp, a lot of CBD, a lot, lot more of those products. Um, but you know, everywhere you go, you know people are struggling, and the Lord cares deeply for them. And what we're going to see is the needs of the world around us gave Jesus great compassion. Is He's going to align our heart with His heart by calling us to pray in just. A minute. So think in this terms of how he felt compassion was gut-wrenching, heart-melting, aching heart for his people. Love that actually hurts, deeply hurts. I was mentioning Caitlin, she's a student at Biola, and, and she, uh, she, she texts me uh, the other day and says, hey, could you help me with my paper on the humanity of Jesus? It's my thesis paper for the year. And there's nothing that brings greater joy to me than when my children actually think I might know something to help them to write something. Because, you know, it's like, oh, yes, I, I actually have a little information on this. Um, but, but, you know, I love the fact that she wrote this paper. You know, she's 18 years old, you know, at basic theological level. But she wrote this paper. 
And she talked about how Jesus' compassion can frame and shape our compassion. I thought that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. See, when we pray, we become like Jesus, feeling the depth of compassion for his mission and his people. When we pray, we see people for who they truly are, in need of a good shepherd for their souls. That's so key. So Donna, Donna's coming to the, uh, to the second service. She, she, she really commended the godliness of all of you who came to the early service on Time Change Sunday. But she decided not to participate in that godliness, so she's coming to the second service here. She's with me. But, uh, but, but again, you are, you, are, you are the champs that come. And this is like normal attendance. You didn't have a drop-off from attendance is, is on this day. It's a little bit down. Okay, I don't judge you. I'm okay. I'm okay if it's like completely down to nothing. I love everybody. I'm not... I don't have like a clicker counting, but I'm just saying it's, it's pretty impressive that you guys, you guys came out. Should you give them like free Bibles or something? I don't know, sort of donuts, donuts, donuts. Donuts are a win. I've had my share. Uh, and so, um, but you know, so here you are. You're here early because you um, care about those things. Well, Donna, you don't get to meet, but Donna and I, uh, we started dating in high school. We started dating when we were 15 years of age. Uh, she says 16, but I think we were dating at 15, so it appears... She had me in the friend zone, and I thought we were dating for an entire year. But eventually, kind of, she, she gave in, and she dated me from 16 until 20. And then we got married at 20 between our freshman, excuse me, our sophomore, junior and senior year. Don't tell our kids. Don't, we don't let them get married around. It's too young. It's too young. But there we were married. And so I, um, I remember we were married just a few years. We were living in Buffalo, New York, and we had planted a church in Buffalo, New York, among the urban poor. And she got up one day, having a, she had a flu, and she got up to go get some water, and she fainted, and, and just fainted, and I'd never seen anything like it, and, and, and just boom, right there on the floor. And, and, uh, and we were like calling, you know, we're going to get her, take the hospital, the whole nine yards, and, 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 and they, their, their diagnosis was, sometimes people faint. This, this is, I mean, how much did I pay you for this knowledge that I had just seen? So I said, well, why? So, you know, it's just sometimes people do their sick, sometimes they faint when they're sick. And I, you know, I didn't know. But, but I remember just the depth of care and compassion for her. And the God of all the universe has that depth and care and compassion, not just for one person, but for people. Um, and here's what's interesting. We actually don't have an English word that translates Spike's, Spike leads to my very well. We don't have any English words. His heart went out like a gut punch, a heart going out and more. They were like sheep, he said, torn and helpless, really strong graphic words. And it's not, but again, this is not just about compassion. It's about prayer. That's what I want you to see. What's the link? You got more to back that up? I do. Stay with me. Because uh, this compassion thing relates to the shepherding thing, which relates to the prayer thing. And I got verses. So watch how compassion, the shepherd heart of Jesus, and prayer come together. I'm not going to put them on the screen, but here's one. John 10 verses uh, 11 through 15 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He's, he, is, he who is a hired hand is not a shepherd, does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches them and snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for a sheep. See the compassion that's there? There's a link between prayer and compassion. We're going to see it. This is important right in a minute. But watch this. Jesus frequently prayed, came back from prayer. He saw people searching for him, and he had compassion. Let me say it again. Jesus frequently prayed, came back from prayer, saw people searching for him, and had compassion for them. Let's look. Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 and 14 says, Now when Jesus heard this, I think that's on the screen, yeah. When he heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But the crowds heard it. 
But the crowds heard it, and they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, there was a great crowd. He had compassion on them, like needs am I, on them, and healed their sick. You see, prayer pushes you towards compassion. That's why Jesus is leading this passage, and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is leading to prayer. Compassion is so identifying with the needs of others that you must act. So he stepped ashore. This is Mark 6, 34. So he stepped ashore, saw a huge crowd, had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. Right, so okay, here's the deal. Jesus has deep compassion for those who do not know him. Are you with me? You're tracking with me? Okay. So if that's the case, that's the case, um, what might we think about this today? If Jesus had a compassion, and in just a moment, you know what he's going to say. He's going to say, pray therefore to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. That's what he's going to say. So you would assume that if we're going to be like Jesus, we'd have the same compassion that he has, which would lead us to telling everybody about the good news of the gospel, right? Amen? Right? Okay. So are we? Are we? Well, here's the great thing. Here's the great thing. I actually um, have the privilege um, the privilege of, uh, of speaking, uh, uh, doing research and then speaking about research to kind of see what people actually do. So here's what we did. We'll put it up in just a minute, not yet. But, it's, but what we did is we actually surveyed churchgoers and we asked them questions like, um, well, let me, let me show you the first one. Here's the first one. Among Protestant churchgoers, uh, this is, goes to go two times a month or more. Here's what we surveyed them. We said, um, how, I have a personal responsibility to share my religious beliefs about Jesus Christ with non-Christians. Now, again, it's hard to word a question that everyone would, you know, like witnessing. Not everyone uses the word witnessing. Like some denominations don't. They share their faith, whatever. So we said to share my religious beliefs about Jesus Christ with non-Christians. So what we find is 55% agree strongly, 24% agree somewhat. And in research, we tend to collapse those categories under agree. And so 79% of Christians who attend church regularly agree they have a responsibility to share their faith. Let's take a look at the next one. It says, I feel comfortable that I can share my faith. I feel comfortable that I can share my faith, my, share my belief in Christ with someone else effectively. So the number, of the, the strongly agree goes down some, but together, you put them together, that's 74%. So three out of four Protestant churchgoers, regular people like us, believe that I'm comfortable sharing my faith. They agree, some are strongly, that I'm comfortable sharing my faith. Okay, so this is really great news. 79% agree, I have a responsibility. 74% say, I feel comfortable. So you would expect huge numbers of people sharing their faith, right? All right, let's take a look. We asked them, how often, in the past six months, how about how many times have you personally shared with someone how to become a Christian? So there's the answers, right? So... So, um, so zero seems to be winning the race, which is not what we wanted to see, right? So the typical church-going Christian says, um, I've actually zero times in the past six months, or maybe, maybe it's one time. Or, or, and people, people in surveys actually tend to exaggerate their answers to the good. So if anything, this is probably more, but, 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 um, but I, I want to meet the guy 16 plus times in the last six months. That's how I want to meet that guy. Uh, that 1%. I want to hang with him. Um, he's sharing the gospel with everybody. Um, so, so, but then maybe you say, well, maybe Ed, that's too strong of a question. You know, share how to become a Christian is pretty strong. What about just invite people to church? Well, we asked that question too. Let's take a look. The numbers get a little better. So 48% say zero. 20% say one, you know, kind of goes down from there. And there's that guy at the end as well. You know, he's inviting everybody to church and telling everybody about Jesus. I want to be that guy. So, so what does that tell us? Um, 
I, I think it tells us a lot of things, but one of the things certainly it could tell us is that we don't have the level of compassion that Jesus has for people who don't know Jesus. And I think that's important. We don't have the level of compassion that Jesus has for people who don't know Jesus. And I don't ever want us to get over the fact, right? You know, I, I, um, I, I come from a non-Christian home. My dad's not a Christian. And when I say he's not a Christian, I don't mean like he's another denomination that I don't like. Uh, he's like not a believer. And he would say, I'm not a Christian. I try to be a good person, try to keep the big guy upstairs happy. Um, but why do I share the gospel with my dad, who right now is struggling with cancer and on radiation therapy, and I share the gospel with him regularly, and we're very close. I share the gospel with my dad because I love my dad. I have compassion on my dad. Now, I don't expect for me to have the same level of compassion for everybody like I have for my dad who doesn't know Jesus. But Jesus has that compassion for people who don't know Jesus. And he calls us to align our hearts with his. So it's not too late to pray like Jesus told you to pray. Add someone's name and ask for God to send laborers in the harvest. Why? Because prayer gives you Jesus' compassion for the harvest. Prayer gives you, aligns you. Prayer gives you gives you Jesus, I can't say that, let me say it one more time, prayer gives you, oof, prayer gives to you Jesus' compassion for the harvest, which leads to number three in our outline, number three and, and finally, um, the need for a savior, the need uh, for a savior. So, um, so what does that look like? How, how, does, that, how does that play out? What is, what is the distinction that that makes? So the need for the Savior. Um, the, um, um, here's, it says this um, in Matthew chapter 9. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples. Now, this is now we're the first time we're getting to what Jesus, first we got to what Jesus was doing, then we got to the compassion that led him to do it. We're leading up to this prayer. Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus tells us to pray for the harvest. Jesus tells us to pray uh, for the harvest. Okay, um, Do people, and it says to pray earnestly for the harvest. Another way uh, to explain in English how serious it is, it says pray earnestly. So, so do we do that? Do we do that? Well, here's the thing. I love, we, um, Max Lucado is, a, uh, is an author and a pastor. Any of you read a Max Lucado book? Yeah, super fun. Uh, he's we've become friends. I call him I call him America's pastor. So I just had a uh, I just had him on a podcast. If you're interested, Google Google his name and podcast or my name and his name and podcast. You'll find he's a great guy. Uh, what I said in that is that it's kind of hard for me to interview him because I think of him as Hermy and Wormy, uh, and you have to be a certain age to get that reference. But when my kids were little, we you know we were in the minivan stage and. We'd played this DVD, and it was Hermy and Wormy, and that was that was Max Lucado, who's the voices of those things—a little worm, a little, little Bible story. Anyway, so uh, so um, we Max was doing a book on prayer. We partnered together to do some research. He talked about this on like the Today Show and other places. And here's some things we asked about. We said, "Have you ever prayed for among Americans who pray?" We asked them, "What have you prayed for?" And so here are some things that they that they pray for. They pray for people who mistreat you. Okay. Uh, your enemies winning the lottery. I, 21%. I mean, that, I don't pray for winning the lottery, but let me just tell you, if you do win the lottery, make sure you take care of your church. So, <laughs> Devil's had that money long enough. Uh, so, and just say, so don't play the lottery. It's a tax on the poor. You don't want to play the lottery. Uh, you pray for success in something you put almost no effort in. 
That's, that describes my high school years right there. Lord, help me, help me. You could have studied, but no. Um, uh, no one to find out the bad thing you had done. 15% say that. God to avenge someone who hurt you. Your favorite team to win the game. I mean, you're praying for the Cubs. God answered that prayer one time. Just one time. Um, and I was here for that. Now we're moving away, but I was here for that. We were moving the year the Cubs won the World Series. So find a good parking spot, not get caught speeding, right? So all these things are listed. Bad things to happen to a bad person, whatever it may be. Uh, so winning the lottery, 21%. Remember that number. Not that you can play that number, but just for a point in just a minute. So 21% of Americans say they've prayed to win the lottery. Now maybe you prayed for the Cubs, maybe you prayed for something else, but... Um, Maybe you prayed for not speeding, right? not getting a ticket when you're speeding. I, I've prayed that on the way to church, and it didn't work once, but that's another story. Not today, but in the past. I was going to Moody Church, and I got pulled over by the nice officer, and I learned my lesson. Okay, so, so 21% pray to win the lottery. Okay, But what do people typically pray for? Typically, we ask the question here, have you ever prayed for? Then we ask, what do you typically pray for? Let's take a look. They say they typically pray for family and friends. They typically pray for my own problems and difficulties. Good things that have recently occurred. My own sin. It's a good thing to pray for, right? Repentance. People in natural disasters. God's greatness, my future prosperity. People of other faiths or no faiths. Now let's look at that one for just a second. Celebrities or people in the public eye. I don't pray for celebrities and people in the public eye. Maybe I should, I don't know. Um, the, uh, the, um, so all these things to say is that... Um, I want you to look at what percent wanted to have prayed to win the lottery. Do you remember? 21%, right? Okay. And so what percent pray for people of other faiths or no faiths? 20%. Now, here's the thing. So 20% pray for people of other faith and no faith. Don't miss that. So Jesus tells us to pray for workers in the harvest, but more people they say they've prayed to win the lottery than say they normally pray to win the lost. Isn't that interesting? I remember the two different questions, but more people say they've prayed to win the lottery than say they typically pray to win the lost. Now, back to our passage. Keep in mind, this is between kingdom living, the Sermon on the Mount, and kingdom mission, the commissioning of disciples in Matthew chapter 10. So sometimes we see this, right? We see this, right? We, we see that the, the, Jesus is about to say to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. And sometimes the worker in the harvest, we're going to find that is you, because that's exactly what happens here, right? So remember that Matthew 5 through 7 is kingdom living. Matthew 8 and 9 is kind of a little middle section. It end, we're at the end of Matthew 9. Matthew 10 is the commissioning of the disciples. So he's about to send them on mission. So Jesus in chapter 10 is about to send them on mission. And what does he do? He says to them, pray for the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field. And sometimes what we do is we sort of end at the end of chapter 9. But in chapter 10, it's you're the workers in the harvest field, which is kind of interesting, right? He wants them to pray for people on mission. He's about to send them on mission. So maybe you have kids, and I do this, and I, uh, now that all my kids are out of the house, um, just this, 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 you know, our, our last kid left the house to go to college in, uh, in August. And what did we do? We moved to England for four months. And, uh, and then we're moving to California. We're trying to really not have a place for them to come back to. So we're working really hard. No, no, you're out on your own now. It's all good. We don't have a house anymore. Uh, so we love them. Um, but, uh, but, but I remember my middle daughter. She's the, she's the messy daughter. Right now I have her car. So she's, uh, I said, let me take your car. I'm gonna get, I'll get your oil changed and your brakes, your brakes you know, changed, brake pads changed and that kind of stuff. They're dad things. So I'm doing that. And her car is, 
<laughs> such a mess. There's like things living in her car. She's such a messy kid. The other two are not messy. She's a messy kid. She's a great kid. She's just a messy kid. And so there have been times when I've said to her, um, <laughs> I remember standing in a room, I look in there when we lived in Wheaton, and I said, man, does any teenager in Wheaton keep her room clean? Now, I wasn't really talking about any teenager in Wheaton. I was talking about my teenager in Wheaton. And Jesus says, let's pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the harvest field, and then immediately sends them as workers into the harvest field. So we are also the laborers, sometimes the worker in the harvest, and the answer to our prayers actually can be, can be us. Now, it's not just us, so I'm praying for my dad, right? I'm sharing the gospel with my dad. And then he finds out, he tells me, I got a neighbor who's kind of like you. He's, he goes to church, he's always trying to tell me about Jesus, and I'm like, we have people everywhere. <laughs> but, but the Lord of the harvest has sent a worker into the harvest field on my dad's street down in Jacksonville, Florida. Now, don't want you to miss this, right? You have a remarkable church. God's been doing it. We were talking at breakfast. and had, What time did you pick me up? Sweet 40, 46, 45, sweet mother of pearl. Um, oh, sure, let's get together at 645 on Time Change Sunday, which is 545. And went to Perkins, which was awesome. And, but you would just tell me how the Lord has blessed the church. Even since I've been here last time to see what the Lord's done, I love that. It's a great church, right? And, and, and I know you think this is kind of normal because this is what you experience, but it's not. God has just been blessing this church. And, 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 and when, one way he's going to continue to bless this church is when we align our heart of compassion with Jesus' heart of compassion, which draws us to care for people who don't know Jesus. Now, I want you not to miss this, right? I'm convinced in my life, and I've made it a spiritual discipline. So I ask the Lord, you know, I have my quiet time, I have my Bible study reading time. Those are what we call spiritual disciplines. And I ask the Lord in his grace to give me the privilege to share the gospel with someone who doesn't know Jesus on a weekly basis. And I want you to know, it doesn't happen every week, but when I pray and I seek the Lord for that, it happens regularly. Why? Because it's a pattern and a process of spiritual discipline in my life, which shouldn't surprise us. Because Jesus himself in Matthew 4.19 says this, he says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So that's part of what he makes us, how he makes us, what he does in us. Now, we also see this in John 20, 21. It says, Jesus said to them again, Peace I, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. It's a beautiful passage, right? So Jesus has sent us on a mission in the world today. You are sent into Madison, into Fitchburg, into this place to show and share the love of Jesus. And your heart, your heart in part is the harvest that God is calling. He's calling for your heart to align with Jesus' heart to care for those who don't know him. You're headed to Israel. Are you going to Israel too? That's super cool. First trip for you? Oh, super cool. We loved it. We were just there, took a class there, um, uh, took a class, uh, Wheaton College students, and uh, one of them found the uh, the oldest continuously operating tattoo parlor in the world is in the old city of Jerusalem. And, and, uh, and one of my students found out, and by the time we were done, it took 15 students, 11 of them got tattoos in Jerusalem. Do not do that, young lady. <laughs> Just laying out the rules. Just laying out the rules. Um, but you know, a lot of things you can see there are pretty cool, but one of the things you're going to come, and you'll see that hill on the outside of Jerusalem where Jesus, it says he looked on the city of Jerusalem. You can actually, now it's all set up, so there's little stopping areas where you can actually look over Jerusalem and do a little talk there or connect there. You look over Jerusalem, and Jesus said he looked there and he wept 
for they were like sheep without a shepherd. This is the same Jesus who Splagnizomai says, pray to the Lord of the harvest, deep in compassion, that he might send workers out into his harvest field. Your obedience is the laboring God uses to bring about salvation to others in the world around us. Right? Let me, let me do one more stat before we go. I, gotta, I, I, I used to run this company called Lifeway Research, and we got a research firm at, at Billy Graham Center where I work now. And when I go to Talbot, I'm going to have to start a research arm. But, um, but here's, here's the great thing. Among Americans who pray, they say, my prayers are answered, all of them, most of them, some of them, and none of them. You see the numbers, right? Um, so it's interesting, because I don't know. Who are these people whose prayers are answered all the time? I guess you could say that sometimes God says no, but our prayers are consistently answered. It's just an interesting question. It got talked about on the Today Show for a while. Uh, none of them, some of them, most of them. I would probably be in the category of some or most. Um, but here's the great thing. When it comes to this prayer that Jesus prays, uh, tells us to pray, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into his harvest field, that prayer can always be answered because the pattern in the Bible is the very next thing Jesus does is send the people he told to pray this prayer as laborers into the harvest field. So in our obedience, showing and sharing the love of Jesus, I want you to think about this, right? I want you to be among those who are consistently seeing answered prayer. And one way God's going to answer prayer is for you to be on mission, sharing the gospel with your neighbors. If you pray for workers in the harvest, I promise he will answer because you will be part of that answer. So prayer is the vehicle that drives the mission of God. Prayer is the means by which the purposes of God are accomplished. Prayer is putting your heart on the table and letting God put it on the map. So I don't know who the Lord might have for you to share with, but I want you to think about it. I want you to think about your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, and say, Lord, burden me for that person. And I'm actually going to pray with you in just a moment and ask the Lord to give you, splagnizomai, that deep compassion for those who don't know Jesus. It's not too late to pray the way Jesus asked you to pray. Add their name and ask for laborers in the harvest. And if you don't have a name, put Ed Stetzer's dad in that prayer spot. Pray for him. His name is Ed Stetzer, shockingly. There's two of us in the world, and I pray for him regularly that he might trust and follow Jesus, and my heart is burdened. He's still here, and there's still time. And so it is for people you know and care about to say, Lord Jesus, burden my heart. Give me that sense of compassion, because prayer focuses you ultimately on the Great Commission. So, that being said, would you take a few minutes and pray with me? And let's ask the Lord to speak to our hearts and give us the compassion. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send workers, send workers into his harvest field. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you show us what it looks like to have compassion for those who don't know you. You see them as sheep without a shepherd, Lord Jesus. And we who have been found by the shepherd, who have been changed by the power of the gospel, we who have in all the imperfections, seek to trust you. Father, would you give us a burden, uh, deep felt compassion for people who don't know Jesus, just with your head bowed and your eyes closed. I want you to think on your neighborhood, your school, your workplace, your family, and in the midst of that to say, Lord Jesus, burden me for them. Uh, place your compassion inside my heart. Help my heart align with the heart of the Savior. Father, we, we pray that you would send laborers into the harvest. Lord, I pray that some of those laborers in the harvest would be right here. People who are praying 
in Michigan have family members here in Madison, and we're the laborer that they're praying for. And some of us got family members in Jacksonville, Florida, or wherever else it may be, and we pray that you send laborers to the harvest near them. And Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open, filled with compassion, desiring to show and share the love of Jesus. Lord, maybe to invite them into the community that is city on a hill, Lord. Thank you for what you've done here, what you're doing here. Special work you're accomplishing, Lord. But burden us even more deeply to reach the people of Madison, showing and sharing the love of Jesus in a broken and hurting world. Lord, we acknowledge that you're worthy of every song we could sing. You're worthy of all the praise we could ever bring. We're just going to continue giving you worship and praise, Lord. But as we praise you, would you do a deep work in our heart, a deep work that reminds us to love those who don't know Jesus. And we pray indeed you'd send laborers into the harvest field.